Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Out of the gates and ready to go. Outkick 360 is underway. The Thursday edition, Sweet 16 edition of the show. Sixth and Peabody, our location now. And then we head to New York. We'll be with Clay as Tennessee will take on Florida Atlantic in the second game of the doubleheader at Madison Square Garden. Michigan State takes on Kansas State first, both of those games on TBS. The CBS slate tonight, UConn, Arkansas, and Gonzaga, UCLA. Glad you're with us. Trey Wallace will join us. He will be in Louisville. That's where Alabama and others will be tipping off tomorrow. And later in the show, Dane Bradshaw from the SEC Network. Chad, good afternoon. Hutton, I'm excited to finally see Clay's helicopter that he purchased in the last year. It's going to drop us right into the top of Madison Square Garden. (laughs) Our first time being at this storied venue tonight and excited to see Madison Square. I've seen Madison Square Garden. I've never been inside of Madison Square Garden. Tonight will be our our first time. So how about this? Uh, The Garden ranks fourth overall for the most NCAA tournament games hosted at a venue, but there, this is only the third time since 1961 that the tournament will be played at Madison Square Garden. I'm, I'm so thankful that the NIT is in Vegas now because this opens up a slate moving forward where the Sweet 16 can be in New York in a great atmosphere. It's going to set up some potential great bracket rivalry matchups. And keep in mind, you have the big stadiums hosting the Final Four. So it's going to be the Garden, where I think we're going to see more games played for the tournament. Uh, Of course, the the Big East tournament is there. It's always great. At one point, uh, whenever MSG changed over um, ownership groups, they had the ACC, and I believe the Big Ten tried to jump in and do their tournament there. And then the Big East came back and said, no, we, we need to keep it here. Let's pony up and do it. And it's turned into the conference and continued to be the conference that we've seen. And now we get the tournament center stage on Broadway. Let's go. It also has been affected, I think, when the Barclays Center in Brooklyn was built. I feel like the NCAA tournament has been there as much as it has been Madison Square Garden yeah. since the 1960s. Yeah. Because the they NIT, moved a lot of events there. The I NIT, think the, though, has really tied them up. I know the ACC was played in Brooklyn one year, the ACC tournament. I feel like the Big Ten may have been there one year also. So a lot of events like this have moved to Brooklyn and out of Madison Square Garden, the NIT Final Four is there. That's relatively inconsequential now. But way back in the day, that was the tournament. Yeah. Right? That was the big deal. That's why I was at Madison Square Garden. And I like that that tradition continues for the NIT. But really cool that we'll be there tonight for Sweet 16, regional semifinal, regional final for the East Regional at Madison Square Garden. Anytime you can get big events to Madison Square Garden, it, it's a win. It sounds bigger, it is bigger, and especially when it's the NCAA tournament and a chance to survive in advance, I think it's really cool. I've never been to the arena in Brooklyn. I've heard good things about it, but I do feel like once that arena was built, they were very active in getting events there and saying, hey, you want New York City? 
It's not the garden, but they're booked up. Come over I, here, and we can host your event in a state-of-the-art facility. Yeah, and so this is the first time the tournament's been there since 2014, and prior to that, it had been 50 years. And in 2014, the reason why the tournament loves it there and wants to have more events there, obviously, ticket prices. But UConn was in that regional in 2014. They end up going to the Final Four. Tickets were over $1,000 a piece. And I'm eager to see what it's like later tonight because you have Tennessee and Florida Atlantic as well as Michigan State and Kansas State and what that would end up looking like compared to what everyone boasts of of 2014. It's, it's going to be fun and a great slate of games as well uh, later tonight in Vegas. Every NCAA tournament venue loves the underdog. They love a Cinderella. So I'm very curious to see. In the first game tonight, there is no real Cinderella with Michigan State and Kansas State. Just a good game of two Power 5 opponents. Yeah. But when Tennessee plays FAU, I expect there to be more orange in that building than any other fan base. I think Tennessee fans will dominate the arena in terms of if you're just ranking fan bases that are in attendance. But the problem for Tennessee is going to be everyone else in the arena that's Michigan State, Kansas State, FAU, impartial New Yorker, they are going to be all in on FAU. So every FAU made shot, every FAU run, you're going to feel it in that arena that it's Madison Square Garden will back the underdog in this situation. So going to be fun to be there for the first time tonight, Hutton. Going to be fun to see the atmosphere between all the teams participating. So you're saying that the underdog is not Marquise Noel, who John Calipari called a little kid because he's 5'7". Or a little, the little guy? Yeah, little kid, I think. Uh, little, little guy? Post-game presser, and he's, he's apologized for it because he's taking heat for calling him a little guy. But 5'7", uh, as dynamic as they come, and uh, a reason why we're seeing Kansas State tonight instead of Kentucky uh, in this. And, you know, he, he apologized for it, and I'm, I'm thinking, like, in a land of, uh, on the court, in a land of giants, <laughs> the, the small guys stand out. And it's a storyline when the small guy is the best player on the court for that given night, Chad. Yeah, it's... Uh... Calipari said way worse. Way worse in the past in regards to uh, insults or taking jabs. And he didn't have to apologize for it. There's no need for it. No, it's, it's stupid. And, um, I mean... Yeah, I, I get it. That what, thirty points for him in that game. Yeah, nearly a double, nearly a double double with his assists. I think he had nine assists. The little kid is. That sounds like the name of a movie. <laughs> the the little kid, um, starring Macaulay Culkin <laughs> in nineteen ninety. So look, it's disrespectful to call coaches call college players kids all the time. You know that that big kid for the other team yeah. or that shooter no, number four, the number fourteen kid. You'll hear that constantly from coaches when they're referring to college kids, you know, college men, college players, whatever. I, I will say that there is a definite sense of patronizing Noel from Calipari here. Like, if you want to apologize for anything, and it, Calipari knows what he's doing, when you refer to him as the little kid, then you're being a little bit condescending uh, when you're calling him that. I mean, is it uh, offensive? No. Would I be offended or take something from that if I'm Noel? Probably. I don't want some other coach referring to me as the little kid when I just dominated their ass. So I he understand played, that. He played every minute. Yeah, I mean, game. okay. Now, this, Calipari this reached little, out to him. First off, I'm a man. And second, this little kid just dominated you and we're moving on. And that's sort of Noel's – that's his attitude and personality regardless. Oh, yeah. He was that way after round one. I, I was watching the postgame interview with him. And he said, asked about Kentucky, and he said, well, they're the next ones we have to kill. 
That's all we look at it as. We got to kill them to get to the next yeah. round. And I'm thinking, boy, that's no little kid. That's not kid talk there, Cal. So from that respect, I mean, if he's offended by it, he can use that as more motivation, which I'm sure he does well, in he, all walks of life to put a chip on his shoulder. But should he apologize because it's offensive? No. Did it offend the individual player? Maybe. Well, Calipari reached out to him. He said we, they spoke, and uh, Noel said he's everything's good. Um, Chad, we've we've seen uh, from Coach Cal to, of course, Nick Saban and Coach Nate Oates, who will be on the floor tomorrow. We've got the uh, Alabama media relations and PR group tweeting out a photo of uh, from the men's basketball team's account of Saban posing with the Crimson Tide as they get set to take on San Diego State in Louisville. Um, at a, at a practice here. Uh, no coincidence that they want the two spending a little time together on camera here. Yeah, it's a PR stunt is what it is. Saban got his message across, and Nate Oates says nothing because he can't. No, what, because what is he Because Saban's correct say? in, this, in this regard. And I'm he's surprised. already apologized. Oates already apologized for it. There's nothing they can say. I don't think, you know, everybody takes it as well. You know, why would, what would Nick Saban benefit from starting a riff with the basketball program that might win a national title? <laughs> And it's not about that with Saban. That's why he agreed to pose for these pictures. He wants to be supportive it's, of the university. I, I will go back to Nick Saban. How many times has Nick Saban made a mistake in what he says? He says well, what he means. When he says that, it's because it's creeping up in his mind that everyone is talking about what Nate Oates said, and Nate Oates had to apologize for it. So when he says it, he's just countering what everyone thinks about Alabama athletics right now. I don't think it's a personal shot at Nate Oates. I think it's just Nick Saban being fed up with people saying that about Alabama, so he's going on the other side of it also to benefit his program, and he is a little bit hypocritical when you look through his past when he says things like this, but I don't think it's because he hates Nate Oates or he's got it out for the basketball program and wants to start a war with them. I think it's because Nick Saban wants what's best for Alabama football and the university, and he feels like if they've got a bad shine on them right now because of the Alabama basketball story, well, here's my chance to counter what Nate Oates said. It's nothing more than that, in my opinion. Yeah, wrong place, wrong time was deliberate, though, in how he described Absolutely. what he was doing and why, why he said he's, there's no such thing as wrong place, wrong time. Uh, certainly in the case of what we saw uh, from the Alabama commitment for 2023, the five-star. Uh, in regards to Oates, though, it's more than Nate Oates. What Saban said is uh, a flip, complete 180 on what the university has put out, on what the AD has said, on what the head coach has said. Everything was complete opposite. And, you know, I think if we polled Alabama fans about the criticism of the basketball program, 90% of them would say, yeah, there should have been something done, but he's playing and I'm happy about it. And would defend Nate Oates in the moment, right? There would, come, there would be some excuse to point to. But if the vast majority of people were defending Nate Oates and Saban had an issue with that and said this, then everyone goes to his side because it made the football program with some, you know, uh, plenty of clout, gave them a bad rub based on what was going on with the basketball program. I think both can be true. And Saban actually got it right in this regard. And you're right, we've seen him not get it right during the season. I'm not giving him credit for suspending a player in spring practice, but it's what he said at the podium not what he did as far as discipline is concerned for a guy that was going over 140 miles per hour evading police with half a pound of weed and a, a concealed weapon uh, on the passenger. 
Um, and hey, yeah, he, I mean, that, it's a no-brainer that he's suspended. If he doesn't miss a single game, then we'll crush him over that come this fall, if that's the case, with, with what everything Nick Saban has said. I do love the pretzel this is twisted most Alabama fans in. Yeah, that's what, yeah. Because everyone who now just lights me up on Twitter, I respond and say, who do you believe? <laughs> and I put out the Nick Saban quote, and it's just silence. Because not a single <laughs> Alabama fan – I mean, Nick Saban – could say the thing that's most contrary to it's something going on in Alabama. Nick Saban could speak out about gun laws in Alabama and how they need to be changed. And the biggest gun-toting Republican <laughs> in Alabama would look at Nick Saban and probably say, yeah, you know, he's probably right. We probably should do a little bit more with guns. They may grab a picket sign and go out there and start picketing because Nick Saban said so. <laughs> they will do whatever the hell that man says, and they will never disagree with him. So I love that he is contradicting the basketball coach that they've spent the last two months defending at all costs for no other reason than the basketball team is really good. If they were in the NIT, they would not care. And now when Nick Saban says something that contradicts the basketball coach, just throw it back in Alabama fans say, well, which is it? Who do you believe? And you're going to get on the other end? Silence. Crickets. Nothing. Crickets. Nothing on the other end. Why? Because they will never, ever dispute anything that man says. Because they win. That's why they're defending Brandon Miller and Nate Oates and why they would defend Nick Saban in that hypothetical and what he's done here, uh, albeit in spring practice. Chad, four programs across – College basketball, both men and women. Four programs have four teams in the stage of the Sweet 16 right now. And you say there's no... There, there is a, a line that connects all of them in regards to the men's and women's programs. Well, I think it's two, and it's no big mystery. It is investment and it's coaching. And oftentimes, the investment into coaching is a big part of that. The four programs that are in both the men's and women's Sweet 16 are UConn, Tennessee... UCLA and Miami, this from front office sports, the investment in the programs for these schools. UConn spends over $24 million on men's basketball, which that number surprised me. This is all not including coaches' salaries. Tennessee spends $14 million on men's basketball. UConn spending $10 million more. UCLA, $12 million. Miami, $10 million. Women's basketball, UConn spending eight point five. Tennessee, six. UCLA, five point six. Miami, Six million dollars. Those are big time investments in the basketball. You also look at the coaching situations at all these programs. They're very solid. I think that starts from athletic director on down. There's stability with these programs. There's no magic formula to this other than what you invest in and you go hard on, you typically get a big return on that investment. There's going to be an ROI when you do that. So when you pay your coach a lot of money because they're having success, you tend to sustain winning. When you invest in the program financially, you're going to sustain winning. And that's what we've seen with these four programs. That's really the common denominator between all four. Solid investment, solid coaching, great support from up top with the athletic director and school presidents. Hit us up on social at Outkick360. We're streaming live every day on YouTube. 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern is where you can find us all the time, three hours straight on YouTube. And uh, you can certainly join Chad in the chat there as well. Uh, busy on that. Uh, coming up, Trey Wallace is going to join us. Louisville is his location. He's getting set for tip-off tomorrow between Alabama and San Diego State, uh, as well as Creighton and Princeton. We'll check in with Trey from Outkick.com next in Outkick 360.
Outkick 360 rolls on 6th and Peabody, our location, with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hutton Withrow with you, joined by Trey Wallace of Outkick.com. He is in Louisville at the Yum Center where the shoot-arounds are happening, the practices are happening for tomorrow's Sweet 16 matchups where he will be watching Alabama take on San Diego State, Creighton, and Princeton as well. Trey, hope you're doing well, man. Yeah, doing good. Another day, another city, another NCAA tournament regional. So we're just uh, we're rolling on, and uh, Alabama just finishing up behind me with with practice, and uh, I'll speak to the media uh, uh, later on. And then, man, we're just we're just getting ready. A lot of Sweet Sixteen action happening tonight, and then tomorrow night, Louisville will take center stage with Alabama. You mentioned Alabama uh, finishing up now. Earlier this morning, San Diego State. You had the opportunity to observe that. From their perspective, what do you think of the matchup against the favorite to win the national championship, the Alabama Crimson Tide? Yeah, you know, they they locked down practice. We got to see 15 minutes of practice. I felt like I was at a Jeremy Pruitt practice or, or a Nick Saban <laughs> practice. Uh, but, you know, no, I, look, San Diego State's going to be a, a tough defensive team for Alabama to go against. And, and I think that the biggest part about that is, even if they can make it to stops, can San Diego State get to the basket against Alabama? And, and that's going to be the problem, in my opinion. Um, we've seen them score, but look who they've played. College of Charleston, Furman. Um, I, I look at it overall, and I think that, okay, like if we're, we're setting this up, like San Diego State is a named team. San Diego State's people, college basketball people know. I think overall, going at this, I think that, you know, this is Alabama's to lose. Now, I, I won't say that about the second game, but I think the first game, this is Alabama's to lose. And and right now, when you look at um, what Alabama can do, Brandon Miller, Javon Quinterly, you know, Deco, you can get them all down in the post. You can get them driving around the rim. And I think that's what causes uh, San Diego State problems. It's good. They're going to bring it. It's going to be a hell of a game. I don't know if it's going to work. Trey, what was your first reaction when Nick Saban said, quote, there are no such thing, there's no such thing as wrong place at wrong time? Uh, he was trying to send a message to the athletic department. <laughs> I mean, that, that's honestly the first thing that came to my mind. I mean, it wasn't like a, in my opinion, like send a message to like Nate Oates. It was send a message to the Alabama administration. Um, it, it, you know, it, and I know, um, that Alabama, you know, basketball posted some photos on Twitter. It's like the perfect timing. And 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 I'm not saying there's anything evil going on with this or whatnot, or they said this, but I'm just saying we just went through a whole basketball season, a whole basketball season. And the first time that we see a picture with Nick Saban and Nate Oates at practice is uh, a day after his comments, after after a football practice. Like it just, I mean. The timing is very convenient, um, I guess is the best way to put it. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I look, he, um, he has a clear definition of how he wants the University of Alabama ran. Um, he wants to be represented, his program. He wants to be, you know, when you look at the, the Alabama athletics front door, what is that? It's Alabama football. Uh, he doesn't like distractions. He doesn't like things going on inside the athletic program. I don't care what sport it is. So. You know, for him to make those comments, yeah, maybe a little coincidental, but you know, them following it up with, you know, coach goes to practice. I, I just found that a little bit too much. It's like you, you didn't have to go out and try to prove a point by showing some pictures on Twitter. Princeton is the Cinderella left in this tournament right now as the number fifteen seed. 
You've got them there in Louisville, Trey. What is the buzz around Louisville with that Princeton team? What kind of chance do you give them to upset Creighton and keep this train rolling? I mean, it's going to be a big man versus big man matchup in the post. I, I Look, Princeton's hot right now. Like, this is a team, and they're not overwhelmed. Uh, I, I was speaking with somebody last night right when I got into town uh, to Louisville that works for the Princeton basketball program, and, and this team's bomb, cool, and collected, and, and, and they're not letting the moment – you know, overwhelmed them to a point where, where how far they got here. Look what they've already done. So anything that they do now is just adding a cherry on top to, to what they have done already in the tournament. I, I think this is a group that plays good defense. I think they can shoot the ball outside the perimeter. Um, I think that they're going to try to bring 40 minutes of hell. Kind of reminds me a little bit, watching their defense kind of reminds me of what we saw at Arkansas uh, back in the day under Nolan Richardson. I, I, I just feel like you know, can they beat Creighton? Sure, they can beat Creighton. But Creighton's got a hell of a shooters out on the perimeter. They can get to the basket. You know, seven foot one, two hundred eighty five pound. You know, monster in the post. Uh, how do you deal with that? I, I just think that. And, and I'll say this: I wrote about this earlier in the week. That's the game, guys, where I think we see Alabama's biggest test. Meaning, whoever comes out of that game. It's going to be Bama's biggest test. Not San Diego State uh, that will play. Uh, I think it's Creighton or it's Princeton that, that's going to be the wild one uh, that could cause a little chaos come Sunday afternoon. So I, I'm I'm looking forward to. It. I don't care who wins that Princeton Creighton game. I think one of them is is that that could be the upset uh, of the tournament come uh, two days from now. Trey Wallace with us. Outkick.com is where you can read his work and coverage from Louisville for the NCAA tournament in the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight. Um, Trey, from, from the perspective of when we've seen Alabama lose, it's been to a team that can impose their physicality, right? They, they can muddy the waters a bit and, and make it more of a, of a, a cloudy, dirty game, right? Yeah. Can, yeah, can yeah. one of these three teams do that against Bama? Because we've seen teams like Tennessee do that. I mean, I, I go back and look at the last loss for Alabama. Texas A&M on the road at College Station. First off, the Aggies came in there and just pushed them around in the paint. Uh, second of all, Alabama shooting was was off that night. Like I, I'm waiting for a game in this tournament. And some people pointed to, oh, we'll go look at the Maryland game. Okay, they scored ninety some odd points against Maryland. Let's, let's throw that out. I want to see a game. What happens when Alabama does not shoot well and they're getting punked in the paint? Like somebody's not backing down to them. And I think that can come here in Louisville. I, I just, you know, you, you go back and you remember that that game in Collins Station. You know, I, I thought Buzz Williams had the perfect plan for Alabama. It, it, it's try to get them out on the post physically, get them out of the paint, uh, cause problems for Brandon Miller. Uh, if you got a face guard, if you got a two-man guard, and do it. I just thought they had a great plan, and they won that game. And also, by the way, if I'm not mistaken, they held Alabama, I think it was 61 points. I think that final was 67-61. So if you want a recipe to beat Alabama, go look at how Tennessee did it. Go look at how Texas A&M did it. And you try to do that. you you got to replicate that. That's it. You can't try – you can't get, try to come out here and try to outshoot Alabama. Like, it's not going to happen. You can't go back and forth and try to trade baskets. No, you got to try to punk them early in the game. Uh, kind of the same way Tennessee did to Duke, where you send a statement to a team and, and we're not here to back down. So I think that's what you can get. 
out of Creighton. Uh, I think it's what you can get out of Princeton. San Diego State, I'm, I'm just a little concerned about their defense. But overall, if you're going to beat Alabama, you damn well better make sure that you send a message that, hey, we're here to play. So I think that's one of the key things that's going to stand out tomorrow night. Arkansas and UConn tonight, Trey. And Arkansas under Eric Musselman, a great tournament team, really good program. But I'm a little bit conflicted. They have the huge celebration after they beat Kansas. He rips his shirt off. Then you've got Nick Smith crying in the locker room by himself because he's upset because he barely got to play and didn't score a point. Uh, Where is this Arkansas team right now? What do you think about their chances to upset UConn and continue to move on and get to a third straight Elite Eight under Musselman? Chad, I love. I mean, I love Arkansas. I mean, look, could I do without the the Hulkamania, you know, (laughs) style celebrations after the game? Sure. But that's just a guy caught up in the moment after a big win. He's becoming the Izzo of the SEC, Trey, with how he coaches the tournament, too, and with his energy on the sideline also. I'm telling you, it it, it shouldn't throw anybody off that that's how Eric Musselman is. But I look at that game, like Arkansas, man, they got the Mitchell Twins. You got Ricky Council. You got Smith. You got enough players on this squad right now. And I'm leaving off a couple. You have enough players on this squad right now that I think that they can they can make another little run here. You know, we saw what they did last week. About you know, beat UConn. You know, see how it plays out out west. You know, this is a squad that's playing really good basketball. Ricky Council, the way that he's able to get to the basket, shoot up. It, it just they they've got a number of guys on the team that can be leaders without having the score. And I think that's another key, you know, distinction when it comes to, to, to Arkansas basketball. So I, 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 I love watching them play. I look forward to watching this game tonight. I think it's a game that they can win. Um, will we see Eric Musselman in the stands ripping off his shirt if they do? Absolutely. Um, but, I, but I feel that right now Arkansas has found another level. Like all season long, we were all wondering, okay, when's this Arkansas team going to go for When's this Arkansas team going to go pick it up a little bit more? Uh, they finally did it, and it's because they're finally healthy, Chad. And, Trey, look at it from this perspective. If they make a run, meaning to the Final Four, what they had to go through, they had to knock off a number one seed, they come back home, now they're back out west in Vegas, and they're having to go through UConn, and then if they win, the winner of Gonzaga and UCLA. I mean, that is the gauntlet to get to Houston. It's a lot easier than what some – I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, a lot harder than what some of these teams held the, the number one seed in the whole tournament, Alabama. Well, they're going to have to go through San Diego State and Creighton or Princeton yeah. to make the Final Four. But, so, that, I mean, so it, the it, Arkansas didn't earn that, right? Alabama did during the season, and now we're correct. seeing the yes. true potential of the Razorbacks. That's what I'm, that, and that's what, and that's what I'm getting at right now. It's like okay, for them to be able to beat those teams, yeah, you know, Alabama definitely deserved. It. Alabama definitely deserved the easy path, okay, to get there. Uh, but Arkansas, you've seen a team that that's come out all of a sudden, you know, playing out of their minds right now, and I love it. I want to see what comes with the rest of it. Trey Wallace with us. Uh, other great games uh, throughout Tennessee taking on Florida Atlantic. The Owls, uh, they have about a $2 million budget, I believe, for their basketball program compared to over $14 million for Tennessee. They're more than just underdogs on paper uh, with, the, with the betting spreads, right, out in Vegas or on the apps. They're on, on the yeah. actual financials as well. This is why we love March Madness, because you have stories like this where the coach is getting $350,000 a year compared to what is, what is Barnes making now, six or six. seven? Yeah, six, six. yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I love storylines like this. And they 
they can shoot they can shoot from the outside and they have a chance to pull off an upset and become the big storyline. I I enjoy watching Florida Atlantic play during the tournament. Uh, you look at the record; they lost three games this season. I, know, guys. No. I mean, that's tough to do. I don't I don't I don't care who you are, yeah. or what conference you play it's in. It's eye popping. Belt. When you see that, right? For sure. it's a, yeah, it's it's like wait, three games? Okay, uh, but yeah, no. This is look. This is a game that I think Florida Atlantic. Uh, they're going to try to drive the basket and get around Olivia and Euros down to the post for Tennessee. Can they do that uh, and then have success behind the arc? That's going to be kind of worrisome for me. But this Florida Atlantic team, man, they just don't care. They're going out and playing basketball. They're they're attacking the rim. Uh, they're they're getting hot. And if they're not hot from behind the three, they're not stopping. They're just continuing to try to find that shot. You know, you saw what they did against FDU. I I, I you know. This game tonight has Tennessee written all over it. It's got Tennessee trying to come out uh, and set the tone the same way that they did against Duke. I think the biggest thing for Tennessee is you got to make sure like Tyree Key, uh, Santiago Vescovi have a nice afternoon shooting or evening shooting inside Madison Square Garden. The last time they played there, I don't think Tennessee fans will ever forget that atrocious shooting that you saw against Texas Tech uh, last time in the Garden. But I don't expect that tonight. I expect a focused Tennessee basketball team. And and you look at FAU, I expect the team, if they can, if FAU can get into the garden and just calm down uh, uh, their emotions, keep it just under wrap, go out there and play solid basketball, then I think we get a game coming down in the final three minutes. If Tennessee comes out and they decide, you know what, we're going to punk a team like we did against Duke last weekend, then I think it could be a wrap for FAU. But um, you you look at this right now. This is setting up pretty nice. And if you're a Tennessee fan, you beat FAU, you're going to play a Kansas State or a Michigan State team. I saw Kansas State last weekend. Deontay Johnson. I mean, that's a good squad. Uh, but maybe you could start making some reservations in Houston. Just make sure they have a cancel policy available. So you've got Jay Billa saying, you know, Tennessee played overly physical. It was a football game. It wasn't properly officiated, and that's why they advanced. You got Coach K saying the opposite. Tennessee's just a great defensive team. And you've got Tennessee kind of leaning into this on their Sweet 16 program. The back of the program in big, bold print is bring them down into the mud because they might drown in it. And that's a quote from Uros Plavsic. What do you think about Tennessee suddenly getting the label as, as a dirty team? Trey, you've seen them and covered them throughout the season. Is this a dirty basketball team or just an extremely physical team? It's an extremely physical team. Like, but but it, it, we didn't see anything. You know, and look, I, I watched a number of Tennessee basketball games this year. I haven't seen that kind of juice with them. And I'm talking in the post. I'm not talking outside the paint or whatnot. In the post, I haven't seen that type of juice all season long. Rick Barnes gave one hell of a pregame speech to to Euros and Olivier, and that was their plan. First five minutes of the game, come out, try to punk Duke. Get them agitated, get them upset, maybe draw a couple un, you know necessary fouls, uh, but also put them in a bad spot. So look, Jay, look here, here's the thing: Jay Billis is going to complain about it and going to try to uh, rile up storylines because that's what Jay Billis does. He work, you know, that's nothing against Jay Billis. He's got to find talking points when it comes to this. Well, and Jay Billis, let me let me school. jump in, Trey. It's he's he's consistent school as well. He's consistent on yeah. two things. One. 
He's anti-NCAA and pro-student-athlete on everything. They could do anything. And no student-athlete's ever done anything wrong. It's all the coach and the NCAA's fault. And two, it's always the defense's fault. He is an offensive guy through and through. Anything that ever hinders the offensive movement of a player should be a foul, and it's always a foul on the defender and not the offensive player. So at least he's consistent with those two points. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree. I, I, I agree with you 100%. Congratulations, Jay Billis. But when you have other folks around the country that you know are, are pointing out that, look, Tennessee just brought it to Duke. It, 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 why didn't Duke reciprocate it? You know, that, that's my biggest thing is it, 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 Tennessee. Look, man, Tennessee's got grown men on their roster. Like Tennessee has veterans, guys that are 22 years old that are playing against a Duke team that is filled with a lot of freshmen and whatnot. And you look at FAU and you could find the same thing. I, I just look overall, I feel like Rick Barnes sent a statement to his ball club that we're not messing around. Go out there and you set the tone. If people want to complain about that and people want to turn Tennessee into villains, okay. It feels like I'm watching the 2022 baseball team again with the way people are talking about Tennessee athletics. Like, okay, that's fine. I mean, if you, if you want to call them villains and, you know, bad people and whatnot, the way that they play basketball, so be it. But go out there and win. And I think that, you know what? If it adds a little extra layer of motivation to Rick Barnes and his squad, I promise you, they'll deny it in front of the press. But when they're in the locker room, I promise he's amping that up. The one difference, though, between the baseball program and, and, and hoops, there's no foul, there's no penalty for the celebrations right. and the gestures that baseball would do. How do you think the game will be officiated in the Sweet 16 compared to the first weekend now that this has become a storyline and a topic nationally? I, I, I still think that you're going to get a couple fouls on Euros in the first half, uh, obviously. Olivier plays a different way than Euros does. I mean, if we're being honest, Euros is down there to, to cause problems. Um, he can score every now and then, but he has a problem bringing the ball down and not just dunking it. Uh, Euros is in that game to, to try to block it, cause some problems on defense, kind of rough them up if they can a little bit uh, on both sides of the, of the court. I, I think officiating-wise, look, they've got a game plan now. That's the problem. You you look at what went on last weekend. Now the officials are like, okay, well, we can see Euros throwing that elbow into the back of the defender. Uh, we can see him going up and trying to box out in the way that he does. The same thing for Olivier. Um, you know, the same thing if you threw Tyreek Key uh, down in the post or Josiah Jordan James. So I, if you if you go back and you change it up now, like every officiating crew is different, okay? And that's the biggest part about the NCAA tournament. Um, but if they try to set a standard when it comes to rules, I'm sure Tennessee fans are going to be a little agitated tonight with the number of whistles that are called, but just get used to it. And, and you know what? If you're Tennessee and you're Rick Barnes, it's do or die. You're going home if you lose this game. So you do everything you have to do to try to win. Trey Wallace in Louisville is where you can find his coverage at outkick.com. And uh, of course, he's covering Alabama and San Diego State. They got a good game between Creighton and Princeton as well. Game's tip tonight, though. Uh, first game in New York for Madison Square Garden, Michigan State, Kansas State at 6.30 Eastern. Trey, enjoy it, man. We're going to enjoy the coverage as well from you. Hey, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. And, yeah, we'll have you covered uh, in Louisville. We'll have you covered everywhere. We'll have reactions to all the games. So, appreciate it. Y'all be well. Thanks, Trey. Look to that and the Trey Wallace podcast you can find uh, at outkick.com. Chad, uh, UConn, they had to move out of their rooms in Vegas. Like, this is the... So, the, because the rooms weren't up to up to snuff, right? So they get 
shipped out and they get to Vegas and the rooms aren't great. So they have to switch hotels. And I'm thinking Vegas would be one of the last places I would expect the hotels not to be right. The problem with this is the NCAA is the one who assigns hotels. And for whatever reason, these hotel rooms were terrible. And then they just easily moved them to a five-star hotel. And I'm thinking, why don't you just do that to begin with if it was that easy? If it's not like a booking issue and everything's overbooked, you just moved an entire team and their operations to another hotel UConn's AD was even saying, it's not, I don't want to make a big deal out of it because the NCAA was very good about we got there, wasn't up to snuff, and they moved us immediately. No questions asked to a better hotel. So he said, I don't want this to become a huge story, but it is a bit of a story when you see the amount of money the NCAA makes over this and know oh. they're in charge of giving teams hotels that you would have this type of issue for any team's hotel. And we've all got a story like this where we showed up somewhere and it's not what we expected hotel wise yeah, the photos were enhanced a bit and, and you want to you want to get out of that hotel immediately yeah um i think back to the sochi olympics in russia remember the the headquarters for the olympic teams and how bad they were i hope it wasn't to that level at whatever this hotel was uh hotel not being mentioned also in the stories that i read so no, which i found interesting they showed up and the rooms weren't clean yeah uh and i mean like a, a scene from the hangover yeah um i wonder if you know you had the characters and the tiger and maybe a was it a rooster that was in there too? A there were a on, number of things in that. on the floor. There were a number of illicit things in the room in the hangover. Um, maybe that was the case. But either way, they got what they wanted in the end. They got a better hotel. Hit us up with your thoughts. Outkick 360 is where you can find us. Uh, coming up in about 30 minutes or so, Dane Bradshaw will join us with some other headlines straight ahead on Outkick 360. Outkick 360 rolls on 6th and Peabody, our location, with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Happy Sweet 16, Thursday edition. And, of course, you can follow us on social and check out everything uh, at Outkick, the coverage, outkick.com, Outkick 360 is where you can find us. Chad, they uh, add the Chicago Blackhawks to the list of teams that are scrapping Pride Night and the warm-up uniforms that are worn by the NHL team's if players choose to do so, the NHL allows each individual individual team to choose what they want to represent on any given night for whatever cause it might be. And the players can or can't, whatever they choose, to back. And of course, we have the uh, story from Provorov from earlier this season where you know the media in the NHL were clamoring to find out why he wasn't wearing uh, the jersey for that Pride Night uh, event in, in warm-ups, and in fact, he just stayed in and chose not to, to wear the warm-up and said, cited religious regions from Russia, and the Chicago Blackhawks are scrapping it all together now because of a new law in Russia and the fear for uh, those that may go back home and what might happen based on this new law against a, the anti-LBGTQ um, laws that are enforced there and of course there's those that are clamoring for chicago to have to answer for this well here's the deal um the law in russia is it's illegal to share any quote unquote gay propaganda whether that be on social media wearing something anything it's illegal 
So, I mean, I can understand if you are a Russian citizen and you're playing in the United States and you have to go back home in the offseason, you're thinking, I, I don't know what's going to happen to me with Russian authorities if I wear this jersey for a warm-up for an NHL game. So I can certainly respect that if you fear your well-being is in jeopardy in your home country when this happens. I immediately thought about a story that I think a lot of you may remember, some of you may not, depending on your age. Mahmoud Abdul-Rauf in 1996, playing for the Denver Nuggets, formerly Chris Jackson of LSU, went a whole season where he set for the National Anthem. This was pre-Colin Kaepernick. And the reason he stated was because of his religious beliefs being an Islamic man. Now, Hakeem Olajuwon came out in that season, and this is a weird story because the NBA did nothing until 60 games in and then started fining him. And a lot of people were saying, well, if it wasn't an issue before, why are you making an issue now? Either way, Hakeem Olajuwon, who was the most notable celebrity Muslim in the NBA at the time, said, and I've, I've got it right here from the New York Times, said, in general, the Muslim teaching is to obey and respect. To be a good Muslim is to be a good citizen. And in the Quran, it states that you honor the laws and customs and tradition of the country in which one lives. Okay, so Kim Olajuwon said, I don't really understand what Mahmoud Abdul-Roof is doing here. Now, if Mahmoud Abdul-Roof would have come out and said, I am a citizen of Saudi Arabia or whatever the country is, and I can't honor the national anthem because if I go home, something really bad might happen to me or my family. Would that change everyone's perception of that story? It would for me. Now, when you don't really give a great reasoning why you're not standing for the anthem and you've been an American citizen your entire life, like Mahmoud Abdul-Roof was and didn't live abroad, I don't fully understand his stance on that, and I don't agree with it. But this Russian story about wearing these jerseys, I totally get. And I think if Greg Wyshynski, who I had a back and forth with, with ESPN or anyone else, has an issue with that, I'd love to know what Greg Wyshynski or any other reporter or journalist would do if they were in a similar spot. Well, and this is not, but we've seen it earlier where just players have, there's another player that has pointed to religious beliefs as to why they're not doing it. Uh, and three teams altogether have just scrapped it previous to Chicago doing it. Yeah. So we're, this is going to become more of the norm, especially for the Russian players, and the teams are going to point to that instead of having the, the warm-up and the backlash for you know whatever color warm-up a team happens to be wearing. Um, wear whatever you want. Uh, and just keep in mind that all the bitching that goes on in the media about what people are wearing or not wearing uh, pales in comparison to the laws that can include death and life imprisonment across the world for the same stances uh, that the media here is uh, speaking out against because a player isn't wearing a Pride Night warm-up for their game or isn't present for the warm-up. Yeah, um, and, and look, it I, makes no sense. When I compare it to Mahmoud Abdul-Ruf, I'm not saying that wearing a gay Pride jersey and warm-ups is the same as the national anthem, but right. they're both symbolic. My point is they're both symbols, right? And it's all about how you look at those symbols. And I totally back... Provorov on his stance. If you are a Christian, you disagree with that lifestyle. He said, I don't hate people that are gay or anything like that. You know, I pray for them, but I'm not going to go out there and and honor that either. I, I respect that stance, whether I agree with it or not, whether you agree with it or not, I respect his stance on it. The same goes for this, because now we're talking about possible life and death and imprisonment. 
for Russian players. So I think the Blackhawks well, are making the right move in this. Well, that, but also freedom of religion. And if you don't want to do it, I, I mean, again, they're not keeping they're not keeping um, the the attendance for whatever other you know night is going on for a warm up uniform or the 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 military Native salute, American salute, Heritage salute Night salute to military and more. Uh, yeah. That, there's a double standard with that for sure. No Coming doubt. up, we've got some headlines that includes Brett Favre. We get back to the Sweet 16 as well with Dane Bradshaw on Outkick 360.